Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CHAMPION and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CHAMPION and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. and Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Welcome to the Coco Express Network. Talk radio that informs. Talk radio that inspires. Talk radio that enlightens. Talk radio for us all. Hey, welcome to the Cocoa Express show. It's Aurelia and we're live. I'll talk to you soon, okay? We're we're live and um, I am really so, 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 so happy to be here and I'm glad to be back. So much has happened. I'm not even sure I've done a show since I've been out of the country and had this amazing experience that I had. Um, I have to say that um, I have how can I put it, found me, and I'm glad. And I'm glad because it, it, it enables me to have different kinds of opportunities. And I really do appreciate the things that I've encountered and experienced. And um, I'm going to put you on hold for one second because got to check one thing. I hope um, you can hear me because I'm not exactly sure if um, my mic is working, but I think it is. Let me just double check. Hello? Hello? Yes, yes, my mic, is, my mic working. is working. Okay, now I have to say that my experience um, in this has been great. And I have an amazing opportunity tonight that I never saw coming, but um, I am a fan. I am a fan of hip hop. I come up in an era and an age when hip hop went from infancy all the way up to being what it is today. Um, and the um, beautiful thing of that about that is you get to see things, you get to learn things, and you get to understand things. And when the opportunity came for me to read a manuscript called The Moment of Truth, The Google Gangstar Story by Solar, I was truly honored to be able to have this opportunity to read this manuscript. And I have to tell you, the book gave me a longing for a time that no longer exists. Um, things are totally different than the way they were then. And I really like the way the book was written. I like the detailed, the, um, the, just the details of how things were. And I'm not going to go into it too much because I want to have the author here to talk about it and talk about the book and his writing the book and all the details behind it because it's an amazing story and it's best that it be told by him and not by me. And him being Solar, Solar was the DJ that worked along with Guru. So please allow me the opportunity and the honor to introduce to you Solar. Hello. Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Yes. Yes. Hi, Hi this how is are Solar. You? Great. How great. are you? It's great to, to be talking to you, Arella. Is that how you pronounce your name? Hello? 
Hello? Yep, I'm here, Aurelia. Is that how okay. you pronounce your name? It's Aurelia. Aurelia, okay. Yes, yes. I want to tell you thank you for this particular honor. Well, let, let me tell you, I appreciate you guys having me on and, um, you know, just trying to get the word out right now about the mm -hmm. book and, you know, just hopefully to get things put back on the right course. That's good. Um, I am a native of New York. I'm a sister from Brooklyn. <laughs> and <laughs> I have to tell you, you had me in tears, okay, because you spoke of a Brooklyn that no longer exists, that would never exist again. Yeah, maybe in film and in documentaries, but in, in, re in real life and reality, no. I agree. Yes, yes. And, I mean, the detail. You have a mind like a, a gee, an elephant or something because the detail. <laughs> I don't know. You know, this is my first book. It's been a long time in the coming, but you know what? You're you're in um, in good company. Everybody who's read the book has said the same thing, that my the way I paint a picture. Um, so there probably be more books, actually. This is a uh, – this kind of – this book was, you know – a pleasure in some ways, cathartic in others, but also mm -hmm. very painful, you know, because you're talking about a situation that's not right, you know, the way things went down. Yes, you are absolutely correct. I mean, it is a page turner, and I can read a book. And <laughs> I went through this so fast, I'm like, it's it's over? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was going to be originally about 300, 300 and change, and we ended up... Uh, editing it down to 200. So I don't know. There might be there might be the longer version may may actually appear at some point. That's and, kind of the beauty yeah. of, dig, of digital books. You know, you can you can always refresh and, you know, mm -hmm. bring out new new versions, extended versions, all kinds of different things, you know. Well, my big question to you is why now? Well, you know, like I've been saying, you know, to the fans who don't know the situation, you know, Google had cancer for a year before he passed away, and he left me in charge of his business. And basically his situation with his immediate family, which was very small, um, was not good. Him and his sister were not, was not close, were ever close. They really had a horrible relationship, and so did the nephew who jumped out and decided to jump into the public eye. He had no relationship ever with Guru. So, you know, we were like two people who met, and, you know, it's, it's so odd to me that, the hip-hop media tried to pretend like they didn't understand what I was saying or what relationship me and Guru has. Every black person, every person in America, regardless, and around the world, have friends that they're closer with than family members or have known somebody who's had friends that are closer with them than family members. This is not something odd. There, you know, there are so many different scenarios in life in general where people have been adopted when the family didn't want them. People have been put out their homes and friends have taken them in and given them money and food and, and jobs and careers. I mean, it's just, it's not uncommon at any level. But then when I say me and him are like brothers and we became family, then it becomes some kind of an odd, weird thing. And they're going to turn it into something dirty and, and, and funky and suspicious, you know, and then cowardly on top of everything else. You're going to wait to say all this after the man is dead and he can't defend himself, which is the opposite of what happens mm -hmm. when, all the other hip-hop stars died. When Tupac, and you're from Brooklyn, when he got uh, arrested here in New York and sentenced when he went up, up north, the first thing you heard in the hip-hop media was, oh, he got raped when he was up north and all this kind of nonsense and, you know, everything else. But then when he, you know, got returned, when, when he um, passed, they forgot all of that. And just recently the same thing with um, with, with Prodigy from, from Mob Deep. They were saying that he mm -hmm. had AIDS and he was having homosexual sex in, in 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 jail and all that and I'm not saying this to to rehash anything I'm just saying that when but when these when these people die all that's put put to bed and it should be but then again it was said when they were alive and they could defend themselves all, all this bullshit came out when the man is not not here to defend himself and and then when I tried to defend them they take me to court the state and and premier take me to court to, to stop me from writing the book so I had to literally go through a court battle and win the court battle to be able to tell the story now, what I say to all the fans is that why would anybody who loves somebody want this story to continue when it's not true, and they know it's not true? Why would you want this to hang around his legacy and fight me from telling the truth? So the whole thing becomes, you know, and you read the book, 
you know, mm-hmm. I, I put it all together in the book so that, so that people can draw their own opinions, you know, their own conclusions. Yes, and I have to tell you, I really appreciated the way that you told your story and his story at the beginning and how you you came together. And it gives a better understanding that you didn't come um, not having any kind of credentials of your own. Exactly. And so, resources, you know, financial. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that was the part that I found really interesting as I, you know, read through the book and also read the the blogs that were out there before. And I, it just really amazed me, but then again, you're talking about a culture um, that we have a tendency of not being there for each other at certain times, mm. if you know what I mean. Mm. Yes, I do. You know, it's the yeah. crabs in the barrel mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. kind of situation. Yeah. And I think, you know, as I was reading through the pages and I was trying to understand and I was seeing that more and more. Yeah. You know, it's and, funny when when uh you know that you say that because I talk about the James the James Brown story when he had mm-hmm. a band. See, Guru had never had a band before, and I had had a band when I was younger, but but nowhere near you know a world class band touring around the world playing major venues. You know, and these guys who I put on the band had never saw the type of crowds and and money and you know uh, mm-hmm. you know acclaim. The, the, the seven band uh, the seven grand band was an acclaimed. Band, we were playing elite um, festivals that never that never had hip hop artists before, and that, you know some of the musicians were, were getting starting to feel themselves, and they were feeling certain kinds of ways. I didn't know much about it, but when I watched the James Brown story, I understood it a lot better, and that's why I mentioned that in the book that you know mm-hmm. some of these band members they just think they think they're bigger than the stars, and then they start to have hostilities and so on, and it's just time to move on, and that's how I looked at it. You know what I mean? It's just time to move on and and just leave mm-hmm. it at that, but. Obviously, you know, there was a lot of um, agitation. There was a lot of um, cajoling behind the scenes. There's, you know, a couple of band members. One of the band members came out and on YouTube, and he's there speaking on it. DJ Doo-Wop and said that DJ Premier was, was asking him to say that homosexual shit, and he was denying it. He was a band member. He's like, there's nothing like that at all going on. And the other mm-hmm. band member, original band member, David Scott, and everybody else. But, again, this is ridiculous and cowardly to put this out there on a man that's dead, and then nobody takes the face of it. Nobody takes the point. Nobody's like, well, I know. You know, they're just, mm-hmm. just throwing shit at me and Google when you have no idea of of what the fuck the damage that you're doing, you know, and how and how horrible this is when this man has a son. That's my godson. He's he's living with this, that his father was some kind of coward or some kind of punk that couldn't think for himself. It's ridiculous. It's mm-hmm. moronic. I mean, if you look at the blogs, they say I was some kind of controlling fi- figure. Look mm-hmm. at the interviews on YouTube. He he's always does more talking than I do. I get a few you know, words in here and there, and I speak, but certainly you look at any of those videos, there's no fucking way on God's green earth that you can look at any of those videos and, and it looks like I'm I'm the puppet and he's the puppet. You know, I'm the puppet master and he's the puppet. You're the master. It doesn't mm-hmm. resemble anything like that. And you well, look at the stage shows. We both out there rocking. Yes, and the thing about it is that people, you know, you put it out in the manuscript was that you were going to school to be a doctor. So it's not like you were a non-intelligent person coming mm. into the game. And that's important for people to understand because mm. not only did you have street knowledge, but you had book, book knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, a double threat. It makes, yes. Yes. Well, triple threat because you had the, yeah, yeah, you the, had the musical talent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> triple threat. That's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that in itself would lend you to be, a target. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, for the fans that that that, that really haven't paid attention, or, or yeah, I was I became public enemy number one. Forget about the real public enemy. I became public enemy number one mm-hmm. for nothing, and they could just say anything, and that's why I was just saying it didn't have to have any basis in fact. You know, I was Guru's caregiver or the, or the health proxy, the one who was basically mm-hmm. there for him through the cancer. His family, mm-hmm. Premier, and everybody else had every ability to go. They knew he had cancer. They could have went in and been close with him or did anything that, that they had to do with him. There was The man was free. I mean, he was walking around doing shit. We did chores. He did shows. So, yeah, there were times when the cancer had him down, and I had to be there for him. 
you know, to get them to the hospital, get them to doctor's visit. But there are other times, people that know people with cancer, there's good. They say there's good weeks and there's bad weeks. There's good days and there's bad days. So he had his good days, too, where he was just up and about. And to put it in perspective, Dave Jacobs, who's a world champion, had the same cancer that Google got and, and beat it. But, of course, he wasn't murdered. They, didn't, they wasn't trying to murder him. But mm-hmm. Google was the victim of murder. Well, one thing that I picked up, I, well, I picked up throughout the whole story, is your love for him. And, you know, a lot of people are sometimes uncomfortable with, with the word love. You know, and with actually seeing seeing it, you know, portrayed, you know, your your kinship with this this gentleman. And I found it so um fulfilling because of the simple fact that brothers don't stand together like they should. Mm, and you yeah. two were standing together as brothers. Yeah. Yeah. He never sold out, yo. They offered us I mean, an amazing amount of money, an incredible amount of money. They offered Google to turn for Google to turn against me, and they offered me to turn against Google, and both mm-hmm. of us turned it down, jointly and separately. Mm-hmm. And we we continued. We put seven grand out in the face of these irresponsible, derelict, wealthy, selfish, devious individuals, and they had a hand in, in the murdering of Google. We were we were a mirror to them. See, when you read the book, you realize I was not vetted. I I came through some kind of weird back door, so. For people that believe in God or believe in a higher uh, cause or higher deity or, or miracles or things mm-hmm. that happen through divine intervention, I mean, that is happening above what man can construct. When God mm-hmm. intervenes, it's something that man cannot stop. It's something that's created and done beyond man's control. Their control was not to have somebody like me be a superstar in hip-hop. But God's hand, divine intervention, intervene and open the back door for me to slide in and let the people decide whether I should be there or not. Now, these other producers, these other devils, these other moguls, what do they do? Because my very presence and guru shown and proven that it's not all about money. It's about the, the, the strength of the product, of, of the impact of hip-hop. Go back to what the roots are, because if we didn't do it, we would lose a generation. And what happened? They murdered guru and we lost a generation. These kids don't give a shit about what came before them. They're right back to killing each other, shooting each other, beefing with each other. The adults acting like children, it's all went to hell. Yes, you are preaching. (laughs) And (laughs) my whole thing is... And I'm not against the youth, don't get me wrong. I don't want to sound that way because I've got young artists that I'm working with. And, and, you know, in Patterson, you know, that whole Fetty Wap camp and everything. And and I I enjoy their music and I love it and they respect me. But it, but at, at the root of it, I'm not going to lie to them or anybody else. And they, they most of them agree with me. They're just, they're just looking to make their career. They're looking to make money and get ahead now in the situation that's out there now and how to do things now. They're not interested in what, what really came before them. And if nobody now, has brought them up in the system where they need to be aware, that's what happens. And it's interesting because you talk about, um, like where I was saying earlier in the intro, you came up when hip hop was a baby and was just learning mm-hmm. how to walk, and you turned it in a direction where you gave it legs and you taught it how to run. Mm. Yeah. Now. Yeah, it, it was. It was a. Um, you know, in the book, I really go into it. It's like at that time, the music industry was predicting punk rock to be the next big thing, so yeah. it, the whole industry had geared to put their money, the power, radio machine, the tour machines, everything was geared to punk rock. But then out of nowhere comes, like you said, this baby, hip-hop. And it just got all the attention, sucked all the oxygen out of the punk movement and injected it right into the hip-hop movement. And it was just amazing to be a part of it. It was amazing to see it. And it was amazing to see something that we loved and we created that wasn't created to make money. It wasn't created to be all of that. But then to see the impact of it, know the impact of it, know the socioeconomic um, impact, to know the quasi-religious component, as I speak on the books, the the, the 5% nation, our teachings are wholly embedded in hip-hop. You cannot really Mm -hmm. have hip-hop. In, in its original state and even in its evolvement and even at its height, this biggest, greatest moment in the, in the 90s or the greatest era without including the influence of the gods and earths in, in that uh, 
in the music, in the culture, in the language, the style, mm-hmm. the the. I mean, it, it became so powerful that I'll bring one example. Jeeps were something that white people used to go fishing and hunting, mm-hmm. and lived in very rural areas, and hip hop took it and turned it into into urban vehicles. The coolest, hippest car you could have was a Jeep with rims in, in the nineties. You know what I mean? So it, here's a culture of music that brought a car company back from the brink of bankruptcy, which was e, uh, Lee Iacocca and Chrysler. Chrysler was going yes. under. And mm-hmm. the whole hip-hop movement brought that back. I remember when the president of Timberland, this old, decrepit, cracker white man, said, oh, he don't want niggas and spicks wearing his shoes. Their board of directors forced him out of his company, made him richer than he could have ever dreamed, and, of course, turned... Timberland into the largest, one of the largest urban outfitters or urban clothing mm-hmm. lines, brands in the history of clothing. And I remember all of that as well. And the interesting thing that you said before, um, you talked about you came in through the back door, you creeped in through the back door. There's no creeping with when you do what you've done. The kind of work mm-hmm. and the kind of legacy that you've created and left doesn't, you don't creep in, you walk in. Yeah. Yeah, don't ever I went into the opportunity that, that 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 let that that led to the opportunity, and, and the language that I use is is almost like you look you listen to if you read the Bible and it says Jesus said he'll come as a thief in the night. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There are circumstances that present themselves that, to be quite honest with you, they wasn't going to let me come through that front door. There's no way that the Jay Zs and 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 Puffs and those dudes were going to do that. It wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when they saw my ascension, they also realized it wasn't going to stop me. So that's when the proud, strong solar came once I got through the door. Because when a door opens, and I say this is a life lesson to all the, all the people listening to this young or what have you, that when a door opens, don't ask no questions. Get yourself in there. <laughs> get through the door. Then then you get to the other side. Then, then you start asking questions and, <laughs> and see yes. what the situation is. But when the opportunity of a lifetime presents itself, you take it, you know. And I also enjoyed the fact that you went into detail about the music industry. You share information that a lot of us have absolutely no clue about. And it was enlightening and educational as well. You know, and that was the that was the line that in talking to you and I very much appreciate you know, that, that you really got the nuances of what I was trying to do because I didn't want it to be a book that would just leave you crying and leave you, you know, feeling bad. So I wanted to make it interesting at the same time, staying true to to the, the purpose of the book, but then saying, like, th- there's there's other things that can be told in this book that are that are interesting and that are in some ways life lessons and uplifting and lessons moving forward because the music industry changes, but it doesn't change that much. You know, you just have to, if you know somebody who's reading a book and, and wants to have a career in the music industry, there are lessons in there that can be applied. Yes, you're absolutely correct. And you had me laughing in one particular section of the book when you were talking about being in the south of France. And <laughs> when I was crying laughing, I'm like, when you both got arrested and Guru decided to run and you were asking him, where is he going? <laughs> we gonna run to man. <laughs> it's the top of France. You don't know nobody out here. It's in a hotel, family <laughs> in the woods. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's by me. The cops are running after him. I'm like, what, what are you doing? They're running away here. <laughs> and I found yeah, that so funny. Yeah, be- and it just shows that, you know, aside from the persona we saw behind the mic. It was there was a person, yeah, a person yeah. who, you know, who felt, who cried, and you know, who had the same experiences that we did. Yeah, 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 and gone well, well too soon, well too mm-hmm. soon. Yes, and, indeed. And um, you know what I say all the time, and I'll say it again. In some ways, I wish that those haters and, and, and Decepticons were right. I wish that I did have that control of them because I seriously believe we could have beat that cancer. I mm-hmm. believe that, that just as much as they gave it to them, once we realized how it was given to them, what the nature of the cancer was, we it took us a minute to contact a top holistic specialist, but he, he said we, we had a fighting chance holistically. But they, they went and doubled down 
on on this crazy, insane operation that, I mean, just just the fact he survived the operation just tells you how strong he was mm-hmm. and how strong his spirit mm-hmm. was. Because I don't believe anybody else would have even survive that operation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you were, when I was reading it, I was like, what? It just didn't make sense. It made no, no sense to me at all. No. See, I'm not no. giving away everything because I want people to go out and get the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's listen to the Audible book because I'm about to put that out too, right behind it. <laughs> they will. I think. I think. I think the fans will. Yes. Yes. You know, and you know the the experiences that you had. Um, they were life. Oh, altering experiences like you know being at being at the pyramids. Going to Africa, that was the one that really stood out with me. Yeah, yeah, it was that was a. Oof. I mean, the stand in Nelson Mandela's cell, you know, the mm-hmm. cell that he spent 25 years in, and here MTV has a tent set up and you know a feast and, you know, looking at African people celebrating and being affluent and having money and power, and we were there to speak to the youth about how to organize their their hip hop scene, their music scene, and. Here I am standing in a cell where this man had to sit for 25 years just to ask for basic freedoms or to fight for basic freedoms for his people. It was a moment mm-hmm. that I, it just, even as I say it now, it's just surreal. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just surreal. Yes. And I also believe that everything happens for a reason. And yeah. that um, your, how can I put it, your experiences are teaching lessons for the next generation. Hopefully so. Willfully so. No, definitely so. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I'm with it. You know, and while we're on that topic, you know, you know, I'm here to say all of this, let's, let's talk and let's, let's, uh, you know, walk for peace and, and, you know, listen, when somebody punch you in your mouth, it's a fight. All right. Mm -hmm. When we got this fat stinking cracker, Roseanne Barr, crazy cracker at that, calling people monkeys when she called out the caves of Europe. It can't be no more. You know what I mean? It's time that, that we have to stand up in the face of this and speak back indignantly, the, the real way, to, to speak to the, this ugliness face-to-face and face it down. Um, I just can't believe what I'm seeing from these so-called leaders. I just can't believe it. You're, you're standing in the face of advocacies of all types of hideousness that we left behind Years ago, now we're going to revisit it and revisit it from some kind of weird, crazy angle where you, the wealthiest and most powerful, will say nothing and just kind of let let it go. Let however it goes, it goes. Another dereliction of duty. But I'm going to speak. So every time I have a platform, I'm going to have something to say. And you know, you can put crazy people anywhere. You can put a nut yes. in 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 Skid Row, and you can put a nut in the White House. Crazy is crazy. Yes. I don't care where you put it. And, well, I have to say one thing is that with our last administrator, President Obama, he gave us the tools that we needed. And he gave us a lesson, and he gave us the last thing he said was, we're going to have to fight for ourselves. That's right. And this is where we are. Yeah. Yeah, when I speak of leaders, I'm not speaking of the political leaders. I'm talking about the social leaders, the music the music leaders, the leaders like myself. I consider myself to be a leader, and Guru is a leader. Our music, our movement, the Seven Grand Movement, the Jazz and Tez Movement, the Gangstar Movement, was all about taking the most positive elements of hip-hop culture and, and reincorporating it back. And it was working. In 2005, 2006, we were working with Gym Class Heroes. They were the epitome mm-hmm. of that. So, so it was working. Up until the time the guru died, there was no nobody shooting each other and beefing out of their heads in the 2000s. That shit, we put all that shit to bed. Yes. And it, when, it, speaking it, of Barack Obama, when when we were on the road in Europe and we were doing tons of high-level media interviews, and when these people spoke to Guru and Solar, they didn't necessarily want to talk about music. They would ask us questions about what happens after death. Is there ghosts? Um, what's the answer to racial strife? What was the answer to the presidential problems we had here in America right before because mm-hmm. Barack Obama came into office during the time of me and Guru. It was George, George Bush on his went out. Mm-hmm. And at what point, like I said, we were touring Europe and I had said, at that time I was saying that I consider myself to be a citizen of the planet. More than an American citizen, but a, but a global citizen. And mm-hmm. even more than that, a universal citizen. A citizen of the universe. And not long after that, 
Obama gave a speech and he said the same thing that he was a citizen of the planet first and the those, those devils gave him a fit was oh you can't you're an American president you can't be a global president you can't be the president of of a citizen of the planet what have you so the impact of me and guru was felt there's no question about it yeah. but I'm directing my disappointment at the ones who had a hand in murdering guru made all the money have all the money and and with that money they have power but are are silent in the face of what we're fa- we're looking at now at the future that 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 we're staring at now and and feel they have no no responsibility in this music has always had a responsibility especially black music and urban music has always had a responsibility when NWA was saying fuck the police mm-hmm. and and Ice T even with his you know nonsense was saying the same thing Yes. And then we see now, right after that Rodney King. Yes. Now the the question that really um jumped out at me that I wanted to ask you was the direction that we're going in now. The the music that we're hearing now, do you believe that it can be turned around? I do. I'm heavily involved in, in youth sports and I'm also involved with, with youth at risk. So I spend mm-hmm. time with the youth that are that are really the next generation of athletes and and musicians and rappers and I will you know the elite and mm-hmm. I'm also with with the ones who are at risk and what I see in this younger generation I see something better I see something in the 13 14 and 15 year olds right now that's mm-hmm. giving me hope and I've seen with this movement with the gun violence movement with the high school students organizing themselves across the country to rally and bring about that uh, attention to to the cause of this and also the political environment that that forces this kind of uh, violence, um, I commend that also. Here we see a, a use of social media in 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 the most forceful and positive way, and I believe that they're going to have an impact as as things move forward because the same thing happened in the '60s. Once the college students and the you know the, the the kids coming out of high school going into college who became the college students once they became affected then you saw a change in America so I believe I believe that any change will come from the youth and come from them setting the right tone and then the the babies coming up underneath them following through with that so I do see change yes. but yeah. I also see on the other side a well-armed faction that are not going to go quietly into the night so you know. I'll I'll say as much as that. Be aware okay. that no amount of holding hands and singing songs and being positive is going to overcome guns and training. Okay, kumbaya, the kumbaya days over. <laughs> no, and if they wouldn't have disgraced the movie Superfly, the greatest line in Superfly, the original Superfly, is when he said to to the black militants, he said, "Listen, if if you want to get your guns and go down and, and fight Whitey, I'll be right down there fighting with you. But until then." Sing your marching song somewhere else. Mm. <laughs> but Indeed. that was the 60s mm. and 70s. Yes. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's, it's an you, you are um, a black exploitation film lover. Yes. Yes, I am. Yes. I love all the black the black classics. from, from And I've yeah. seen them all multiple times, from Claudine to Black Caesar to, favorite. you know, Which Way is Up. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you name, we can go on and on and on. Yeah, because you're preaching to the choir right now. Across <laughs> 110th Street, yes. uh, Cotton Comes to Harlem. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> you know, yes. I've seen all of those. TV series. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Flip Wilson. Geraldine and everything, good times. Claudine, all of those, yes. Uh, Sanford and Son. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and even even up until James James Earl Jones becoming Darth Vader, that was yes. that was bananas. Did you ever see <laughs> the James sick. Earl Jones movie where he played the first black president? Yes, I did. Yep. I yes. love that yeah. one. Uh huh. And they would only show it at three o'clock in the morning on Channel <laughs> Eleven course. WPIX. Yeah, right. And you don't even see Superfly, but it's but it's so important that they remake it. You don't mm-hmm. never see Superfly on cable, any cable. But they had to go out and and, and make this this piece of shit, this this piece of garbage, and call it Superfly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just bad. <laughs> I mean, no offense to the actors and directors; they're trying to make a dollar. But you know, mm-hmm. the reality: this is not a movie that should have ever been made. 
I saw I saw the um the pilot and I was like, huh? Yeah, okay. yeah really. What 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 what? <laughs> what? what are you doing? I mean, yeah. that Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of the Apes, is was a, was a metaphor for Black America. The metaphor. Yes. Yes. For the teachings of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad, it's a metaphor. All the way down through the whole movie, everything. Just just take ape out and put black man in. You got it. Light-skinned black man, dark-skinned black man. You know. Yes, <laughs> One in the middle, indeed. brown-skinned black man. Everybody had a role. Everybody had mm-hmm. a part. Yes. Now, um, no there's the so word. much. They got right down <laughs> to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's so much that you put in this, the, um, this book. You know, um, I mean, it's so much. I mean, you talked about the old Brooklyn, you talk about the Lancy Street, the culture, you talk about um, the shoulders. 42nd Street, the deuce. For, oh, yeah, 42nd Street, yes. The deuce. Yes, we had, yes. and you talked about Spike Lee and the making of Crooklyn. Now, um, Crooklyn, Clockers, Do the Right Thing, She's Gotta Have It. Um, what am I missing? Uh... So She's got to have it. Those... Classic. Yeah, yes. School days. School um, days. Yeah. But the, um, but the three I think that were most poignant were were um, Crooklyn, Clockers, and um, Do the Right Thing. I think those really captured the at culture its height, of as as yes. at its ascension. But to me, yes. you know, I lived right around the corner from Spike when he did. Um, She's got to have it and. It's it's an amazing, amazing piece of work because basically he was supposed to be a five percenter. That's why his name was Mars. So he was obviously mm-hmm. imitating five percenters that he either knew or met or had been around and seen, and he did a brilliant job. He just did a brilliant mm-hmm. job, and um, you know that to me is just the, the you saw all the genius and all mm-hmm. of what somebody like him brought to the table because it wasn't a street dude. But he was able to capture the attention of the streets and catch a part of New York at that time that was eclectic. It was like the eclectic black scene. And I kind of touched on it because I was going to college at downtown Brooklyn or DeKalb at that time, LIU, LIU. Brooklyn campus. (laughs) Yeah. So I I was, you know, and D-Train had lived right there on my block on Fort Greene Place across from from, um, D-Train? yeah, from Brooklyn Tech. Yeah, he lived. He lived in a brownstone down the block. They used to actually. Yeah, I went to high school with him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, that was my dude for a minute. Yeah. So. Um, oh, okay. You know that that wasn't wasn't my scene because at the same time you had the hip hop scene. So I was mm-hmm. more into the hip hop scene, but at the same time those two cultures were rub, were rubbing shoulders closely. So I had friends that actually you know girlfriends that looked just like that chick and talked like the chick from Do the Right Thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. it was just a brilliant telling of a story of a time. Yes, and I also say that at that time, Brooklyn was, um, it was bustling with um, creativity on every yes. corner. Yeah. You could yeah. have yeah. created something. Yeah. Yes, it was busting out of the seams. You're right, you're right. And it was a time, it just, it just, that's what I'm saying. That movie captured a piece of that. And that, and that also that sense of getting along, like, because you had, my early influences as a producer was Boyd, Boyd Jarvis, who, who produced um, Colonel Abrams, and Todd mm-hmm. Terry, who, who produced the Jungle Brothers. But to, to, till today, he's more famous for his house music, you know, the acid house scene that he did, that he started, and he stayed with, and then he did, you know, did uh, house remixes for um, Everything But the Girl, which was a huge hit, and then he did Sheer. But outside of that, just seeing him, these brothers, and how they worked, was like, oh, okay, you can make music with a drum machine. Like, you know, we don't, mm-hmm. I don't need a band anymore. So that was my introduction, introduction to how to make music to be a producer. But again, mm-hmm. here we have two cultures brushing against each other. One is the house, eclectic, you know, dance scene, and mm-hmm. me, more the urban hip-hop scene. But I could get along with these guys, and they got along mm-hmm. with me. And the interesting thing is the two of you coming together was like a coupling of two opposite sides of the spectrum and you created something that was amazing you know on that note what i've been saying which is is truly amazing is that and it really does make me feel great in that 
when I look at the last royalty, uh, or, or uh, not royalty statements, but the, the streaming charts for mm-hmm. for the catalog for Jazzmatazz Volume Four, and then the rest of the Jazzmatazz catalog and the Gangstar catalog, at present, get Jazzmatazz Volume Four is streaming at higher rates on the major platforms like Apple, um, like Spotify, like Tidal. Um, all the major platforms were streaming higher than the rest of the catalog. Very close to 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 the Gangstar stuff, the top Gangstar mm-hmm. album, albums. But it's it's consistently now the highest streaming album of the catalog. Mm-hmm. You see, this conversation I'm having with you right now is letting me understand and letting our listeners understand that you are not a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> Put it mildly, huh? <laughs> yes. I'm from Brooklyn. You know how we say it. We just say it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that in itself should speak volumes to your ability to be able to manage and maintain the situation as it started to deteriorate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, let me tell you, it took, took everything I had there before the grace of God go I. You know mm-hmm. Yes. And, um, and the the thing that I wanted to ask you was, in doing this book, did it help you or did it hurt? Did you cry or did you feel that it's time to, to, to put this out there so that I can have peace? And such? It was it was a journey. Like, the, the book was eight years in the coming, so that's what the readers have to understand. This is not a book that just I put together. Guru and I had intended to write the book of him beating cancer, and that mm-hmm. was the goal. And I think that's 99% of people's goal when they get diagnosed with something terrible, they're going to beat it, you know. But, mm-hmm. you know, after the operation, it became more and more clear that that wasn't going to be the case. So he said, look, you know, the book that we planned on writing, you know, which was going to be his life story and, and the culmination of him beating cancer. And, you know, um, this is going to be a book that you're going to tell. So, Laura, you're going to tell my life story. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, nah, man, you know, you know you, 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 you're still going to tell it. But I think deep in my heart I knew I was going to have to tell it. So it was mm-hmm. shocking to me that when I first wanted to, to put the book out about 2011, 2012, that the state and DJ Premier went to court and got a, a restraining order to stop me from putting out the book. And I had said to them and said to their lawyers, like, why would you why would you want this shit to stand? Why would you want this fucking stench, this this disgusting lies to, to, to hang over this man's legacy and over his son's head? Mm-hmm. I never got an answer. But the court well. agreed with me. The court said, listen, six judges, unanimous decision. One of the few times a black man gets a good shake in the courts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, you know, the six beauty judges, of it is, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm grateful, you know, that you were able to get this done because this is a teaching tool right here about the industry, about how, and it tells so many different stories. It's, it's unbelievable. It tells a story of how two young men, you know, black came from where they came from to do what they do and become who they are. Completely different who, lifestyles. You know, Guru grew up in, in the closest thing to the Cosby family I could imagine. His father was a judge. His mother was a head of the school mm-hmm. library system. And, um, you know, I came from the, the streets, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. Medstein, Bushwick, Coney Island. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, in the book I say, the movie The Warriors, one of the characters in The Warriors is based on me. It's not me physically, but the character is me. Mm-hmm. And that is something that pe- the kids nowadays, they need to understand that and they need to know that all hope isn't lost. You have no. an, the ability and you have a chance. And That's you right. you are a shining example of that. Yeah, you should have saw me in, in, in medical school in NYU, boy. It was a comedy show. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been a series right there. <laughs> now, I'm coming from Brooklyn, but I know that most of the cats that were on the streets were sharp as as tax. Okay, you yeah, were all that was me. out of the bookworm, but all of y'all guys that were hanging out, y'all were really smart, and nobody really understood how smart you really were. And that was just the I think just being cool was a cover up for for trying to hide the nerd in you. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, but let let me tell you something. I scored very high. On their on their medical exams, and uh, when I told them that I didn't think that medicine was for me, boy, there were some long faces. They weren't happy to hear that. <laughs> but 
But it also gave you the opportunity and the ability to understand when the time came. So there was a reason and a purpose for whatever it is that you went No, no, it was beautiful. I, I wouldn't change mm-hmm. a thing. I, I enjoyed uh, that year of medical school. It was great. I mean, just to understand mm-hmm. it. So every time I meet a doctor or whatever, I kind of, you know, I understand what goes into it. And that year, you know, I got to understood what understand what I was looking at to pursue a mm-hmm. career in medicine, how many years of school I was going to have to do, and, you know, residencies and, and you know, all, all the different, you know, ins and outs of the commitment. And at the end of the day, you know, I would be spending a lot of time in hospitals with sick people. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I don't want to sound shallow on it or wrong or anything, but, you know, once we got to the blood and, 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 and the sick people part of it, it really is, you know, I, I have the greatest heart and the greatest sympathy and empathy for people, but it's just not my, my calling. You know, it wasn't my you call. You became the doctor of hip-hop, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I think I got a higher credential than Dre when it comes to that. We should sit down and have a talk. <laughs> yeah, we should have a talk. Yes. You know, and... There was other group, too, from um, Kango. From, uh, what was it? They did the Roxanne Shantae joint. He, was, yes. he used to dress as a doctor. He had the stethoscope and the, and the doctor's yes. screens on. Yes. <laughs> that should have been me. That should have been my stick. <laughs> no, it wouldn't have worked for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, my my stick was the was Adidas and Lee suits, gold chains, tsunami mm-hmm. waves. Yeah, that was my yep. that was my thing, boy. I was sharp. Gold watches, yes. yeah. So and you know, as the book came to a close, um, my heart kinda like just dropped. You know, just just to to see the way things went and you know the turn the way things turned and how um he ended his life and you know the the most interesting part about it was when you said that he knew yeah he did he did at that then he realized that these that these evil people just as he kind of saw it were mm-hmm. You know, he, he we were always in tune with each other. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, it was almost like telekinesis, or it was telekinesis, really. Um, we, 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 you know, we, we could sense what each other was, was thinking sometimes and feeling, and we, we moved as a team. I mean, we traveled the world. We we raised our sons together. We hung out. We partied together. You know what I mean? Like, we just we were just so close and did so many things that um, we just got to know each other very well. And um, mm-hmm. he knew his family, of course, and he knew – other situations with other people, and um, mm-hmm. and I respect the fact that you changed the name so that people will still, you know, they will have the anonymity, and that was respectful on your behalf because you could have been very bitter and do like some of the blogs did and just kind of like name names and threw people under the bus. You know, it's going to be what it's going to be. That's not that wasn't the purpose of the book, and it's not the purpose. Mm-hmm. It's not the purpose of my interviews. It's not the purpose of the catalog. It's not the purpose of the legacy. None of it is is designed. Negatively, you know, it, we're mm-hmm. the point of this is to overcome the negativity, mm-hmm. overcome the evil and, and disgustingness that these Decepticons uh, do out there. So, if it, if it works, there are people like you that are going to really tune into the positives and see, and that's what it's all about. Just just to be, mm-hmm. to to give this man's legacy. What I would, the people have asked me, what do I want to see come from this? And the ultimate that I could see come from this is for the Grammys to give Guru a posthumous Grammy. He thought that the platform was significant. We both felt, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of people in the music industry, really the eyebrows went up when we didn't get a Grammy for Jazz and Taz Volume 4. It was one of the most brilliant albums ever made in hip-hop, period, in the story. And at that time, it was cutting edge. And they gave mm-hmm. one to, to Lupe Fiasco and, and Jill Scott. We took it, and, they, and that was a rip-off of one of our songs from our first album, 7.0 The Street Scriptures. They ripped mm-hmm. off Hood Dreaming. They took the hook and had Jill Scott sing it in a Jazz with Taz-esque kind of way. So... We knew that we were, we should have gotten a Grammy, but for the amount of work the Guru's done, no other hip hop artist has had the catalog and the impact, and just worked so hard and so long for so little, not to be represented. And the Grammys always did the jazz guys right, and they they were always known for that same thing. They worked so hard to hone their craft and tour and sell their music when there was never a real popular uh, outlet for their for the sales. So they, then then mm-hmm. jazz musicians never got rich from the sales of their records. They made their money from touring and, and being out there and doing what they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and Guru was pretty much the same way. We were out there really just touring and grinding, even though we had our own label and we were able to make, you know, money from our records. But primarily we were out we were out there 
for 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 the people. And in that sense, we were like jazz musicians. And the Grammys always honored the jazz musicians for that purity. And I will hope that they'll do the same and that they'll become a movement that people like you and others will, will uh, you know, hit hit the Grammy Award people, hit the Grammys, and ask for, for a guru to be recognized. Mm-hmm. I don't care so much about myself, but, but him. Well, I have to tell you that this book shows the quality and caliber of two gentlemen that um, came together to create a legacy that could never, ever, ever, ever be erased. Well, I appreciate that. And I think that the more that I talk to, um, to good people like you, the more I'm starting to believe that, you know. And I've, I've been on both sides of that, that coin, uh, you know, where I really, it looked like it was as dark as it could be. And now I can start to see a light at the end of the tunnel. I can see that mm-hmm. um, it needs to be seen in a certain light. And I believe that, that the, like, my job, what I do, what I've done, is for the people. And the conduit between me and the people is you. And that's always been the case for me and Guru. It was always the media that really, they gave us some bad shakes, but ultimately they supported us and made sure that what we represented got out there and people responded to it, you know, and they reviewed our music and they reviewed our shows accurately. And then the shows Mm -hmm. took off. So now, again, I depend on the media to tell the story, and then people can say, oh, well, no, Solar isn't this evil villain that they made that, that, that was put out there. He, this is a whole other situation. Once that happens, then I think everything should straighten itself out. At least I, I think so. I believe so. Of course. I mean, it, it, it is what it is, you know, and yeah. if they read the book, they will see it is what it is. Yeah. And yeah. there's not a lot of in-between. <laughs> it is what it no, is. The truth is the truth. Yeah, that, that, mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, what you know, who can who can fault me? Who can say I'm mm-hmm. wrong for for defending a man's legacy? All thing that they could say is why didn't these other people do it, or why would they try to stop Solar from doing it? And once those mm-hmm. questions are asked, they're well on the on the on the road to to correcting all this, to seeing yes. to seeing a way clear to, to put all this behind us. Yes, and I have to tell you, this conversation, this dialogue we're having, it's so. I mean. It's just so great. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, good, um, it's good to be out talking again, you know. I've been quiet for a very long time. You've been hiding. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say hiding. I've been busy and, and, you know, in my own way and doing things that, mm-hmm. that are close to my heart and being staying positive and doing mm-hmm. what needed to be done. A lot of it just came down to, you know, to the courts, that the courts had to make a decision, had to make a call, and they did. And besides that, I put out a record called Livis uh, in 2016, which was a single with me and one of my protégés uh, who done it. Mm-hmm. And the single actually went to number 20 on the on the digital urban charts. We sold like 40,000 units on iTunes, wow. which was an incredible number. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And we kind of put that out there for the haters. Like everybody said, oh, Solar can't, you know, he ain't shit without Guru and he can't do anything without Guru. So I put out my, that single and... and like, let me tell you something, it, it mashed. But, again, I really wasn't out there doing a lot of interviews. I didn't hire, you know, any big-time people to, to get out there. And I just put it out there for the fans and the people. That's why I'm mm-hmm. saying to you what I'm saying now. The fans are responding. They're listening to Jazzmatazz Volume 4 more than they listen to anything else in the catalog, by, by a slim margin to some of the gangstar stuff. But it, but it's no, it's been number one now for months. Um, mm-hmm. And even when it wasn't number one, it was behind some of the gangster songs. It was right in the mix with the gangster stuff. So to hear the haters say it, nobody's interested in our music. But to hear the re- to see the reality of it doing so well in the new model, so that was mm-hmm. the same thing with my single. When we saw the single do so well, and you know, executives are calling me and saying, "Wow, Solar, you know, your numbers are off the chain, and you're beating this guy, and you're beating that guy." And we're talking about major label artists that I was out selling in 2016, um, and. You know, it was just it just felt really good. And then right after that, I put out Solar Dark Side of the Sun, which is my back catalog. So that's the music that mm-hmm. I'm talking about that I was doing in the 90s, kind of parallel while Guru was doing his his music with, with uh, Jazzmatazz and, and Gangstar. Mm-hmm. That was some of the music that, that I was making, independent music. And so the fans got that album out also, that they've been really kind of checking and supporting. The numbers on, on, uh, on SoundCloud like crazy. It's in the millions, like millions of streams you know um mm-hmm. so and then on that record i do put the first record that me and guru did together officially collaborated so they could actually see the transition between solar uh prior and then the actual record in the time frame of what i was doing musically when i connected with guru so the real fans the real music fans can really get a, a good insight right there 
Oh, great. Now, you know that you keep his legacy and his spirit alive by what you're doing. Yeah, and, yeah for sure. And, yes, and, you know, I can hear I can hear the joy in your heart through our conversation. You know, it's funny that anybody who's lost anybody who they love, at the end of the day, people are going to are going to die. I mean, that's life. We're going to lose people and we're going to lose them at different places. So, you know, what I've said from the beginning was that, you know, that's the, I don't feel bad that Guru died because people die. I I just the part that that has invigorated me now and it keeps me striving right now is to make sure I impart the right memories of Guru because what's mm-hmm. out there now is lies. So what you hear in my voice and what you sense in my spirit and others can hear it and sense it is that the truth can be heard, it can be seen, it can be touched, it can be verified, and it lasts forever. The lie has a shelf life, and it's always very suspicious. People always get a kind of funny feeling when somebody's lying to them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's your instincts. Yes, yes. And, okay, how can people keep track of you and, you know, and, and follow you with what you're doing, you know, social media-wise? How can they find you? Uh, you can you can follow me on on Instagram, so it's Instagram Solar Official, um, and also on Facebook Solar Official, and then Jasmine Taz, uh, Google's Jasmine Taz on Facebook also, and the book will be available June thirtieth on Amazon, and should be about the same time available on uh, on audio books and Audible mm-hmm. and so on, and um, yeah, you know, so when, once the book is for sale, it's there, you know, I'm just going copy. It. Be right there. So the new website for the book is uh, momentoftruthgs.com. Okay. And they can go right to that site. You can pre-order the book now, and um, and get your and get your digital copy as soon as it's available on the thirtieth. Excellent. I had such an amazing time with you this evening. And Likewise. Yes. I'm like I felt like I was back home. <laughs> Crazy. It was magical. Yes. Yes, it was. And if you ever want to come back, you're more than welcome. I would love to have you back. Well, that would be an honor, and I and I'd love to come back with with the next project, whatever that might be. Um, You know, like I said, I have a major label deal, and I have a a major label, uh, major film deal that's coupled with my Mm -hmm. major label music deal, which is when I say film, I don't mean in the traditional sense. I mean media projects Mm -hmm. and everything Mm -hmm. that that's. That that we're in now, Netflix and Hulu and all these different formats. So I'm developing some some different projects right now, media projects and film projects. So there might be uh, something to talk about very soon. Okay. And also, I as work well with as you. as well as I, I would be remiss if I didn't tell the fans that the book uh, is going to be followed by the documentary and the biopic movie. So right now we're in talks uh, with some major studios, um, and I'm talking geez. you know big big Hollywood hitters mm-hmm. are um, are right now you know huddling with managers and lawyers and, and coming up with uh with offers to uh to to, to buy the rights to uh my rights to the book and the movie and uh and the documentary. Oh boy, that oh oh <laughs> like oh I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So I have to say thank you so much. It has truly been an honor, and I am just so grateful for this opportunity. I'd like to thank Angelo for putting this together. Um, it has you have kind of like fulfilled one of my dreams <laughs> to be able to talk <laughs> to somebody who is really making it happen in that era. I mean, really, really making real music, creating um, new stuff for us to really enjoy and hold on to. So. Thank you, thank you so much. Well, there's there's more music to come. You know what I've said to um to to some of the some of the you know radio guys I've talked to. You know in terms of of new projects coming and stuff. And I think they've all agreed. People don't care anymore. Kanye's record did very well. His last record, excellently. I mean, we're in different mm-hmm. lanes, obviously. But I don't mm-hmm. believe that at this time, if you're making good music and it makes sense on some level, I think the fans are going to connect. And I've got mm-hmm. a project that that I'm working on now with Who Done It, that's like right in the vein of of Jazzmatazz in the sense of you know it has it has the same kind of grit, but it's tackling other 
issues. And certainly, like mm. I said earlier about the political environment that we find ourselves in, this song, Don't Feed Animals, is, is going to be ridiculous. And the video is going to be even more sick. So look out wow. for that soon. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Thank you. And 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 on another yeah. note, the fans can look for, if they remember back in the day, uh, Casanova Rudd and Super Lover C, they had a, a mm. single, a hit single called Girls Got Them Locked. Um, with me and Cass are talking about throwing an OG joint out there too, you know, throwback joint that I'm gonna twist up and, you know, just just like you said, take it back to Brooklyn, man, what it used to be, and just just yes. you know put it out there in song form. You know what I mean? Yes. Okay. Song and video. I'm, I'm like, okay. Those are just those are these are just projects I'm doing for fun. You know what I mean? Like this is not stuff I'm expecting oh. to make make a fortune on, but just stuff that mm-hmm. that I that I think the fans are gonna find really you know really cool, and and it should be out there. Yeah. Certainly not as major as the book, but you know. Yes. But important to, to those who love people, it, and I think, they, and I think you'll love it. <laughs> yes, yes, because I was talking to a few friends of mine. They were like, "I love Gangstar. Oh my God! Oh, I love Jasmine Tass." And I'm like, "Well, you know." And they was like, "It was too bad." And I'm like, "I'm glad to hear that it's too bad." Mm, that's it's right. just, you know, that's but right. there's a legacy there, and there's a foundation there that can be built upon. So. That's right, and we're at the 25th anniversary of Jazzmatazz Volume One, and uh, there's actually a three three album of vinyl set that's out, you know, collector's edition, um, to celebrate the the release of Jazzmatazz Volume One, which is one of the highest priced collectible pieces of vinyl on the market right now, from my understanding. So yeah, okay. so you know the fans are tuning in, and they have, and you know what's funny is that the haters always make themselves sound so loud and so obnoxious. That, you know, the good people and the strong people and the real people, they tend to just do what they got to do. They don't got to be doing all of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're about the, they're about the craft, the art. Yeah. And that's yeah, they it. go about, they, they enjoy it, and, and, you know, they do what mm-hmm. they got to do, myself included. But, you know, I have a job to do, and uh, I'm going to do it. And um, when, mm-hmm. that's, when that job is done, then I go back to doing what I was doing. So, <laughs> okay. So I want to officially thank you for taking the time out to um, fulfill your good friend and brother's um, his legacy by create, writing this book, continuing, you know, to, to tell this story um, because it's a story that needs to be told and it's a wonderful story. Even though the ending was tragic, it's still a, an amazing story and I thank you. Well, you're most welcome and, and I thank all the fans. I thank you first and foremost and I thank all the fans uh, that, that are going to support, who haven't supported and all the ones who will support and I say, listen, keep hip-hop alive, man, and let's just keep the culture alive. There's a lot of things that we've had and have that could be taken away, so we've got to be careful right now. Yes, yes. So on that note, do you have any last words you want to leave for the um, the listeners? No, just just peace, be good, and um, and everybody everybody do their, do their part, you know what I mean? And, and we can come out of this okay. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you again. Beautiful. And I, All right, Aurelia. Okay. Okay, thank you. Peace. Peace. Okay, everybody, that was Solar, who was part of the group, Guru of Gangstar. Um, and, well, Guru and Solar together, they were part of um, that group, and Guru Hello. was part of Gangstar. Yeah. And um, I have to tell you that it's just, it's just amazing that, you know, I had this opportunity. But the, the how can I put it? I'll put it as, as easy as I can. You know, we all have a purpose and a reason to be on this planet. And we all need to understand that. And we all have gifts and talents that we are given and we have a destiny. And we have to understand that we have to fulfill that. We have to stay in our lane, do the things that we need to do, fulfill our dreams. Do not let anyone tell you that you can't do something because of whatever reason. These were two gentlemen, these are two gentlemen who went out and they created music because it was what was in them. That was part of their destiny. They stayed in their lane. They didn't try to cross over to anyone else's and they did the right thing, created something that we will we will remember for for forever. And that's great. So as you already know, I'm gonna tell you, follow your dreams. Don't try to follow anybody else's. Your destiny is different from somebody else's. But first and foremost, before you do all of that, you have to take care of yourself, mind body mind, body and spirit. So just be careful, 
Be good to yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And I'm going to go. We'll be back again on Saturday. We're going to meet with a Jeremy Snyder. We're going to talk about Father's Day and um, and his book. So please join me on Saturday. Have a great night. I am so excited with this interview. It's just amazing. And um, be well, everyone. And I'm Will Coleman, founder and CEO of Alto, and I built Alto to put an end to rideshare horror stories. You're used to the total lack of consistency in rideshare. Maybe it's a smelly car or a driver that asks just one too many personal questions. Not anymore. With Alto, you know exactly what to expect every ride. Every Alto driver is a trained Alto employee, and every Alto vehicle is part of our private fleet of luxury SUVs. Say goodbye to rideshare horror stories. Download the Alto app today and use code FOUNDER for $10 off your first ride.